So our reading this evening is Proverbs chapter 4, which is page 638 in the Church Bibles, or 936 in the large print. Proverbs 4. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honour you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your own way. Go on your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Thanks, Martin. Well, it was such an encouragement, wasn't it, to hear from Jonathan and Elaine, and I think a particular encouragement to see their commitment to wanting people to get the Word of God in their hands, and it's for the same reasons that we're looking at the book of Proverbs, because um, this book is all about um, ultimately getting to know God better. That's where wisdom is. The root of all wisdom is God himself. So let's come to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help as we look at this really important subject of wisdom that guards the heart. Let's pray. Give careful thoughts to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Heavenly Father, we pray as we look at this chapter together that you would teach us what it means to guard our hearts, that our lives might be lived 
for the honor and glory of your name. We ask for your help to understand this chapter. More importantly, we ask for your help to put it into practice in the week ahead. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you've ever enjoyed a, a holiday on the beach, I had many of them growing up, you'll know, or you might be able to answer this question, what do you do once you've built a sandcastle? I see some of you are mouthing, you knock it down. Okay, if you're a little boy or a little girl, you might knock it down. But when you become a slightly bigger boy or girl, when you've built an amazing sandcastle, what, what's the, then the more fun thing to do? Not just building the castle, what do you then need to do? Brilliant, there we go, you've done it before. You wait for the tide to come in and you defend it. I spent many hours as a little boy building great big sandcastles and as I grew older, the, the, the spade that was the little plastic one became the sort of garden spade and then the great big shovel to build the ever bigger castle. But I soon learned that more fun than building the castle was guarding it and it's always a losing battle. Um, but that's one of the great projects of, of being on the beach and enjoying yourself. And in many ways, the idea of guarding the sandcastle is very similar to what we're looking at tonight guarding wisdom uh, this were the, some of the words we looked at in Proverbs 3 last week and as we thought about wisdom just notice the P's that we looked at last week how God's word is described profitable, precious, pleasant leading to peace and then uh, she is the tree of life and you'll notice in our chapter chapter 4 verse 23 in many ways a kind of summary of the whole of this chapter the writer says above all else Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, as we've sort of discovered in in the last few weeks in the book of Proverbs, much of them are framed as a sort of um, a man, a father, sometimes joined with a mother, speaking to a son. But here we get something slightly different. It says, listen, my sons, or perhaps more literally, listen, children. So it's almost the idea that a father has got his son there, and maybe the boys have come over for a sleepover, and while they're there, the father's speaking to his son and to other people's sons. And he wants to instruct them. And so he says, verse 1, Listen to my father's, to your father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. And here's the significant bit, verse 3. For I too was a son to a father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me. It's interesting, isn't it? It's this idea, really, that that wisdom is not sort of a novelty, but wisdom is something that's meant to be passed down through the generations. And if you are a parent or have been a parent, you'll know that perhaps in the early years of your parenting, it was about breaking some unhealthy cycles that maybe you witnessed in your own family, but perhaps more importantly, building healthy cycles and patterns into your own parenting. And the things you saw your parents did really well as parents, you've wanted to do yourself. It's this idea that... If it's Solomon here speaking to his son, Solomon himself has been taught by a father and he's passing this instruction on to the next generation. And he goes on, verse 4, Take hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Verse 6, do not forsake wisdom. And then you get to this rather odd phrased verse in verse 7. Do you notice it there? The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. It doesn't make much sense, does it? If the beginning of wisdom is getting wisdom, what, what do you then do when you've got wisdom? Like, what's the end of wisdom? But think a little bit about where we've explored in recent weeks about what wisdom is. We've often seen that wisdom in God's word is personified. In other words, illustrated through a person. And so here is the father is speaking to the son, maybe sons, maybe other people's children. He's saying to them, get wisdom. 
And a little clue for this comes in chapter 8. Those who seek me diligently find me. By chapter 8, wisdom, who's been identified by the Father, starts to speak for herself. And she says, you need to seek me and find me. Think about how the book of Proverbs begins. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so here, this idea of the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. It's this idea of get a relationship with the God of wisdom. Wisdom we see is deeply relational. It's rooted in who God is. It's not just a series of precepts. It's not just a series of things that are spoken. But wisdom in the word of God is deeply, deeply relational. And so here, as we're instructed that the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. In a sense, for all of us, the beginning of wisdom is get God. Begin a relationship with the living God. He's the source of wisdom in his son, Jesus Christ. And without him, we're only ever going to grow in worldly wisdom. To seek wisdom is also to turn away from ourself and to turn to Christ. And we've seen that many times. So I want us to see that getting God, getting this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely precious. You see there verse 7? And there's almost a sort of sense of labor here in the father speaking to his son, to these other children. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, she will exalt you. Embrace her, she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. I'm sure, you're sure the note, sure, I'm sure you'll know the story in Matthew 13 of the pearl of great price. The idea that this person sees a great pearl in a shop. And the parable goes on to say, the pearl was so valuable, so precious, that the man went away and sold everything he had, gathered his money together, went and bought this pearl. Um, I did this a few years ago when I bought Steph's engagement ring. At the time it felt like I was selling everything I had to buy this little bit of metal. It's very precious. I had it made. I chose the stones. Why did I do it? Because she is precious. And it was like a sign of me saying, I love you and you really matter to me. And so you do crazy things when you're in love, which is spend too much money on a ring. And you buy it for the person you love because they're precious. Of course, there'll be lots of things in our life that is precious. We'd be prepared to give up a lot for. But I hope that none of us would find anything in life more precious than our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I love Steph, my wife, dearly, but I'll never love her as much as I love Jesus Christ. I can't. And there'll be many things in your life that you love dearly, but you'll never, I pray, be able to love as much as you love Jesus Christ. He is infinitely precious, and we're to love him above all else. So I'm going to put on the screen a series of little pictures. Let these be a a kind of litmus test for... Asking yourself the question, is Jesus Christ the pearl of my heart? Is he the pearl of great price that I'm prepared to do anything for and give up everything for it for? Now, these are just little illustrations. They're not there ultimately to make us feel terrible. I hope in different ways they'll prompt us, they'll convict us perhaps. But just a little litmus test to see how important is Jesus to us. Just see how you get on. When you wake in the morning, where does your mind first go? Uh, My mind naturally wanders to the kettle and a cup of tea because I usually function a little better with that. But where are your first thoughts in the day? See, how quickly do our thoughts go to our saviour? Recognising that he is the giver of the new day. Thanking him for that. Challenging, isn't it? When we've got to get up and rush to work, we've got to get up and there are children who are needing our attention. 
the challenge is if we love Jesus Christ more than anything else, then maybe our first thoughts ought to be him. Here's the second one. How's our devotional life? That time when we just slow down in the busyness of life and just sit at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. So if I'm not listening to his voice, I'll be listening to somebody else's voice. The question is, whose voice is more important? Third little litmus test. How's our heart in the sense of repentance? As we looked last week, have we got hearts that embrace God's discipline? Hearts that quickly turn to humility over and above turning to pride? If Jesus Christ is first in my life, if he's that pearl in my heart, I want to have a repentant heart that keeps a close account with him, that keeps close to him, not a proud heart that turns away from him. So how's our repentance going? Speaking of him, are we people who naturally want to speak of Jesus, even if we find it difficult? Or are we naturally ashamed of him? Do we speak of him with joy, or are we apologizing for the kind of thing we do on Sunday? A little litmus test for how special he is to us. Our bank balance and how we use our money. Money is a wonderful gift from God, but the Bible tells us you cannot love both God and money. Not in the same way. Do we use all that God has given us to show the world and for our own hearts to show that Jesus Christ is number one? And again, this one may be slightly more puzzling, but we've, we reflected in the mornings recently about having a heart for the hurting, a heart for the vulnerable. I think one of the great litmus tests for whether or not Jesus is Lord of our life is how we're doing in this area. Uh, how quick are we to step towards other people in pain? And as the challenge in the talk was, how quick are we to stay there, to stick about when it hurts? See, the more I understand how much Jesus Christ means to me, how much he's met me in my brokenness, the more I want to reach out to another person in their brokenness. Now, of course, you could add to those six pictures all sorts of other litmus tests that you could apply to yourself. But it's worth asking the question, is Jesus Christ the pearl of my heart and do I love him above everything else? Of course, you'll see, if you recall the the first week when we looked at the book of Proverbs, we had the flip chart here and we wrote all sorts of different areas of our life where we require wisdom. And the, the summary was essentially, as you look at this list, is it not true we need wisdom in all areas of life? And so in all the different areas of our life as we walk with the Lord, we've got to make constant choices. And look at how the writer tells us of the two choices that we have to make. The first comes in verses 10 to 13. Do you see there that God's wisdom leads to life? A theme we've seen many times already in our little series. Uh, Listen, my son, accept what I say. That's significant. It's not just about hearing. It's about putting into practice. The book of James, which is the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs. Exactly the same language. It's not enough, enough just to know the word of God, but to put it into practice is what really matters. And then we read, the years of your life will be many. I instruct you, verse 11 in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths when you walk your steps will not be hampered when you run you will not stumble hold on to instruction do not let it go guard it well for it is your life you see here the sense of as the father speaks to the son the urgency with which he wants to get this across to the children who are listening I think our devotional life is hugely important and probably more important to many of us than perhaps we would like to think. I can't keep close to the Lord if I'm not listening to his voice. 
Um, I've just asked John Billet and Irene just to come forward. So would you just come and share? I've just asked them just to share very briefly a little snippet, um, an anecdote perhaps from their own life of how cultivating a rich devotional life has been absolutely vital to them walking with the Lord. And both Irene and John have been walking with the Lord for many years. So I'd just love to learn from your wisdom. Irene, could you just start? Give us a little example of how a devotional life has helped you stick close to Jesus. Just come up here and then we can hear you. Thank you. Well, I am a person that um, likes routine. And um, I like to spend my time with God first thing in the morning. But what I found is if I've been a bit lazy and got up late, then unexpected things happen during the day that stop me being able to spend time with God. At the end of the day, I get really cross myself because I have missed out being God's presence. Um, so that's why I like to do things first in the morning. The most important thing about my devotional time is not about what I can learn, but about spending time in God's presence and building a relationship with him while reading his word. Also, when God teaches me new things, shows me new areas of my life that need to be changed, I feel that is a privilege. And if I didn't spend time with him, then I wouldn't have that privilege. I have to have a devotional time because it helps me to remember how I should live in a way that pleases God. If I don't have that devotional time, then I would start to slip. So to me, devotional time is very important. Thanks, Irene. John, just share a little bit of your experience. Thank you, yeah. When you asked me about this, first of all, my mind went back to when I was in my late teens, involved in the campaigners, a uniformed youth organisation that was soundly evangelical, going to help on the camp at Woolacoom in North Devon, and the founder of campaigners, the Reverend Colin Carr, from St Paul's Portman Square, as an old man, was there. And we asked him all sorts of questions uh, at breakfast, and I remember him saying to us, The first thing I do in the morning when I wake up, before I talk to my wife or anyone else, is talk with the Lord. And that challenged me. I've not matched that over my life, but Barbara and I are up fairly early in the morning. We walk the dog. That's a necessity, first thing in the morning with the dog. And then when we get back home, we have our, what we used to call quiet time, our time with the Lord uh, personally, individually, we're, we're using, at the moment, Explore. The strapline for Explore is for your daily walk with God. So we use the, uh, the scheme they produce and we find it helpful in teaching us more. We need to listen to what God has to say to us and to spend time in prayer, talking with him and bringing before him those things that uh, concern us acknowledging our sin and our failure and seeking his wisdom and guidance. It's a vital part of the day. And also, at the end of the day, it's important to let the Lord have the last word. So before we turn out the light, at the moment we're we're reading together from uh, a a little book by Tim Keller. Actually, it's based on Proverbs. It's uh, called The Way of Wisdom. And uh, we don't always understand what Tim Keller says, but the Proverbs are great, part of God's Word. And then we pray together before we turn out the light. But in between, during the day, too, it's good to spend time in all sorts of situations, turning to the Lord and talking with him and seeking his wisdom and guidance. But one final thing, if I may, is this. I became a Christian when I was eight years old, but I still feel... I'm a learner. 
The Lord is so wonderful, so great. His word is so precious, such a such a, a mind of, of wisdom, and uh, I've so much more to learn. On holiday, I read the life of uh, F. B. Meyer. It's good to learn um, the lives of others and see how they walk with God. When I read the lives of people like that, I feel I haven't started. So I've got a long way to go yet. But it's great to belong to the Lord and to spend time with Him daily, morning and evening, and when I can during the day. Thank you, John. Thank you, Irene. See, there you go. There's, a, there's living testimonies to people who are a great example to me in their humility and their godliness. And there is living example of spiritual life in people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And we've seen here, haven't we, God's wisdom leads to life. As we hunger for his wisdom, I pray I'll have the same spiritual vibrancy when I'm your age. But look by contrast, what's the alternative? Verse 14 to 22. The world's wisdom leads to death. Do you see verse 14? Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. And then verse 13. Notice all the verbs here that imply a sense of urgency. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. They cannot rest until they do evil. They're robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. It's this idea of a kind of insatiable appetite for all that destroys spiritual life. Very, very different in contrast to the spiritual vibrancy of people walking closely with the Lord. And so if you put the two verses together, verse 13 that leads to life, holding on to God's instruction and not letting it go, guarding it, and contrast that with verse 15, the wisdom of the world which we're taught to avoid and not travel on, to turn from and to go in a different direction. It's challenging, isn't it? But as we come to a close, it's because of the life-giving nature of the wisdom of God that we read in verse 23, and this gets to the heart of what this passage is all about, above all else, guard your heart. Again, rather like last week, here's the father saying to the son, saying to other children, look, I could teach you all sorts of things through life's experiences, and I will. But here's the one thing I want you to most know, my son. Guard your heart. I read this week of someone who put it quite helpfully, I think. The greatest obstacle to overcome in order for a person to put their trust in Christ is their heart. And the greatest obstacle to overcome for a person to continue trusting in Christ is their heart. The heart is crucial. Some of you might remember this picture that I showed when we were preaching through um, Ezekiel or Jeremiah, I forget which. This is a picture of Jerusalem that's been destroyed. And there we have a picture of the exiles being taken off into captivity. Well, where the castle is captured, the whole town surrenders. When the walls of Jerusalem were defeated, the city was fallen and God's people were taken off into captivity. But the significant thing is, why did this happen in history? Ultimately, it was because Solomon, probably the person who wrote this proverb, His heart had become divided. And the very wisdom here who he's instructing his children in, he had forgotten himself. That's the reason there was the exile in the first place. A divided heart of the king led to a divided heart of God's people. And that led to the exile and the punishment that came upon them. It's significant, therefore, that Jeremiah, who many people call the weeping prophet, who sat on the riverbanks of Jerusalem, seeing God's people being carted off into exile, and he says in Jeremiah 24... 
Lord, give me a heart to know the Lord. That was his prayer for the people of God in exile. The first prayer he prayed was, Lord, give my people, give your people a heart for you. And friends, that's the most important thing that we can pray for each other. Why guard the heart? Verse 23, because everything we do flows from it. I'm sure those words ring a bell if you can think of Mark chapter 7. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Or in Luke chapter 6, a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, but an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So I hope we're increasingly seeing as we journey through this book of Proverbs. In many ways, the things I'm hoping we're seeing each week are repetitive, and there's a good reason for it, because I hope we're seeing wisdom is not just a collection of precepts that I could learn by rote, like I could learn something to pass an exam at school. Wisdom in God's word is deeply relational, and we see here in chapter 4, ultimately, is a matter of our heart. And so as we come to close and a little time of reflection that Wellesley will lead, Why don't we just cast our minds back to those little litmus tests and ask ourselves the question, what is it that's stopping Jesus Christ being the pearl of my heart, being number one? And he'll lead us through a time as we respond to that. Because it's only when our hearts are right with the Lord Jesus that we will be able to grow in wisdom. And that is when we'll start living for the glory of Jim. If you cast your mind to those pictures, they, they cover a lot of life in so many ways. But what I'd love you to do um, is just to focus on one of them. Think about one of those six areas on the screen. Maybe it's one which you feel most vulnerable out this morning, this evening. As you look there, you look at your life, you look at the last week, and you think, it's been the first thought on my mind. How my devotions been? Where, what does my use of money say about where my heart is? What about my compassion? Is there any sign of repentance in my heart? I want you to just pick one area. And I want you to, for the next few minutes, pray into that area. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to say sorry to the Lord because he hasn't been the first thought in your day. He's not been the most precious person for you this week. And I'd love you to... Think about what it looks like for you to recommit in that area this week. What one thing, by God's grace, are you going to do differently this week to put the Lord Jesus Christ back in his rightful place in your heart? I'm going to ask the band to play and just to sing quietly in the background. But take, take two or three minutes on your own with the Lord to pray into one of those areas.